And Peter writes to these scattered saints. And he talks about a spiritual temple. Not made of of stone and mortar and, and iron. But made of some spiritual substance. Let's read it together. We read First Peter chapter one or chapter two, verse one, and it reads like this: Therefore, laying aside all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all evil speaking. As newborn babes desire the, the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Now notice he, notice he didn't say. He says, as babies, keep your hunger, is what he's saying. We grow out of the baby stage, hopefully, but we never want to lose crying out for the milk of the Word of God. Verse 3, if indeed, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Come, coming to Him, coming to Him, that's in a plural. Coming to Him, keep coming to Him. You, that's where you get fed. You keep, we keep coming to him. We keep going back again and again and again to the word of God. This pulpit, we want this pulpit to be a life-giving pulpit. We want to be a place where you, you, your, your pastor, the servant, God's servant, is speaking to you the message of God's grace, proclaiming Christ to you again and again and again. Just keep bringing you back to the cross. Keep bringing you back to Christ. Here it says, coming to him as to a living stone. Rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house. There's our title, a spiritual house. A holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is contained in the scripture. Now he's going to quote an Old Testament passage. Behold, I lay in Zion. A chief cornerstone, elect and precious. And and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Faith pays off. Therefore, to you who believe, he's precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders has rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And may the Holy Spirit apply his word to each of our hearts today. In Jesus' name. This morning I want us to consider a spiritual house. I want us to consider the kind of house that Jesus is building. I want you to consider that, as I've mentioned, by way of introduction, this this building is going to have a lot of components to it. Concerning this spiritual house, the first thing I want you to see is this. This spiritual house has a foundation. Now, if you live in Texas, 
You can build a brand new house, and in, 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 in a year, that, that thing's gonna, you're going to look and see a little crack in the sheetrock. You go, wait a second, I just bought this house. Because this ground around here will shift. But what I want you to see about this spiritual house of which Peter spoke about has a foundation. And this foundation of this spiritual house will never be shaken, will never be moved, because the foundation is none other than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Did you read it here? He says, he is the, fa- he is the it says, he is the chief cornerstone. Paul said it in another place, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the, look at it, chief cornerstone. Now, buildings in our day are built a little different, but, but basically, the cornerstone would be the very first stone in a uh, very first stone that was laid in a in a building. <coughs> Pardon me. In that ancient day, it was the very first one that would be laid, and it was called the cornerstone. And it was and and really everything would line up, would have to line up to that cornerstone. The rest of the structure would be measured by that. The cornerstone was the thing that held it all together. In fact, the, the cornerstone would join two walls together. And in this spiritual structure, there's two things that have been joined together. Ephesians says this, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs with the same body, partakers of the gospel, of the promise through the gospel. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He ties it all together. He's the, he was the very first stone that was laid in this gospel dispensation. Paul said there's no other foundation that can be laid except that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. What kind of stone was he? According to this passage, he was a rejected stone. Jesus is a suffering Savior. He's a rejected Savior. He came and wanted to be the foundation of their lives. In fact, it had been prophesied for thousands of years. All the prophets spoke by the Holy Spirit. But then when the stone came, the chief cornerstone came, that they could build their lives on, which would never fail, they rejected that stone. And they tried to build their own kingdoms. They built it on legalism. They built it on their own human ideas mixed in. And it crumbled in 70 A.D., but Jesus is a rejected stone. As I mentioned, he's also the foundation stone. Everything rests in him. He began it all. It all rests on him. In fact, you, if Jesus is not the foundation of a church, the church will, it's not a church, number one. And number two, it'll never stand. Why? Because he's the foundation of the church. He began it, and one day he's going to finish it because he's the author and what? He's the finisher of our faith. He's going to finish it. And when the, when the church is finished, it's going to be beautiful in his presence. Don't judge it just yet. It's not done yet. He's still washing us. He's still working on it. One day we're going to be presented without spot, without wrinkle unto him. He's the rejected stone. He's the foundation stone. He's also the living stone. You read it here. He's coming to a living stone. He's a living stone. That means this, that death could not hold him. We proclaimed it last week. He raised from the dead to die no more. He, his body did not decay because the Father said and the, the Holy Spirit brought him out of that grave before his body would decay. 
He ever lives. He's alive today. The church exists and will always exist and will never be destroyed. Every true church. Why? Because the head of the church is not on earth. Our living Savior, right now, right now, it's hard to comprehend. Right now, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession for us. We will live and we will overcome because we are in the overcoming one. He's the living stone. He's the faithful stone. That stone will never be moved. It will never change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's our security. As I've quoted here, no one who trusts in him shall be put to shame. You can count on him. This stone will not be moved. His promises will not be changed. He's he's a preeminent stone in in the sense that the chief cornerstone was the most important stone in the structure. And oftentimes, the the ruler who had the structure built would would have his name carved into it. It was the stone of honor. And in the church of Jesus Christ, it's not about human honor. It's not about honoring anyone except him who is worthy of all the worship, all the glory. He is the supreme one. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And that's none other than Jesus Christ. If you want to read a letter that exalts Christ more than any other book in the Bible, even more than the Gospels themselves, the little epistle, the little letter of Colossians exalts Christ like no other book in the Bible. And it says there in 118 that he is the head of the body, which is the church, who is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead. That firstborn has to do really with with rank and it says that in all things that he Jesus would have the preeminence in this spiritual house the chief cornerstone is to have the preeminence he's the preeminent stone he's the most important stone there is in the spiritual structure he is to have the preeminence in preaching as we're preaching we're not just preaching motivational messages it's not just feel good messages it is the gospel of Jesus Christ he's to have the preeminence it's not just any good news it's the good news in Jesus and it's good news for everyone He's to have the, pre, the preeminence in our praise. We're to, we're to declare, the. it says in uh, 2.9, that we're to declare the praises of him. We're not just going to a, a, you know, a concert type thing. I've, I've been to concerts. They were fun. They were fun. But this is a worship service. And I appreciate our worship team lifting up Jesus in our worship. He's to have the preeminence in our worship. Jesus attends every service. Do you know that? Because he's here when we gather in his name. He's to have the preeminence in prayer. When we pray, we pray in his name. Whatever you ask in my name, that powerful name of Jesus. He's to have the preeminence in, as, as a pattern, as a template in this spiritual temple. He, he, is, he said we're to follow in his footsteps. We're to take up his cross and we're to follow him. We're to follow, we're to follow his example here later in Peter of suffering. I've given an example to follow me in this suffering. He's given us the example of the preeminence of love, one another. He said, love as I've loved you. He's preeminent in the pattern. And he's preeminent in the purpose for each of our lives. Thy will be done is not just a great phrase. 
But that will be done means that he is to be the Lord of our lives. He is to be the supreme, supreme Lord of all that we do in our purpose and our plan. And the Lord has a plan for every single person. And it's a beautiful plan. And the Bible says he is the foundation of this house. And it says this, that we are what? We're living stones. Didn't it say that? He says, verse 5, as, uh, as you also as living stones. You as living stones are being built up. We are living stones. Why are we living? We're not dead stones anymore. At one time, we were thrown upon the rock heap of the world. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but now we are living stones because he has given us life and he's taken us off the trash pile, the, the, the heap of the, the stones that had no purpose and no use and no connection to him. And he's taken us and he's joined us and he's put us in his great temple. We're united to him. And we live because Christ lives in us. We live because Christ lives. We're no longer in our trespasses and sins. Stop thinking about those old sins. Stop, you know, gr um, grief, uh, shame and grief and regret are things that just stifle a person. Now, truthfully, church, I, I'm not, I don't underestimate anyone's pain that they've been through. But there has to come a time when you believe the gospel. We all have a story we all have a story, but, but in our story, Jesus comes and, you know, this little machine right here, I have a, I have a pen and I can, I can take the digital pen and I can, I can color over stuff and I can even erase stuff on this. That's what the blood of Jesus does. He erases our sin. He washes away where he chooses to, in his sovereign ability, to remember it no more. He doesn't remember all that stuff. Why do we keep hashing over and again? But as living stones, we're not no longer part, or no longer are we dead in trespass and sin. We're living stones. No longer are we part of the old structures of the world anymore. We're part of the spiritual house. And, and listen to this, verse 5 says, being built up a spiritual house. Being, being, that's a process, being built up. That means we are becoming what he wants us to be. Listen, you and I can change. The Holy Spirit is, is a change agent. The Word of God is a change. That's why church is so important. Because whether you know it, you're growing. You're, you're gain, you know, have you ever noticed how that little ears around your house when your kids were little or little grandkids... They pick up on stuff. Just being around and listening, you think they're not listening, but they're listening. And then they start repeating stuff. This is how discipleship can take place. We need one another. Desperately, we need one another. We, you know, when, when you feel your worst, come anyway. When Satan gets you down, come anyway. Why? Because when we get around God's people, we start changing. Church is vital, more vital than ever before. And, but we're becoming what he wants us to be. He polishes those stones. And I've never been into rocks and stuff, but I, I know they pol you can polish those. And some of those stones start out really rough. But I tell you, Jesus can mold us and polish us 
and make our lives something beautiful. Look at all the wonderful stories of people who encountered Jesus in the Bible. And he transformed them. And he made something beautiful out of their lives. That's what the Lord is doing. He's making something beautiful out of our lives together. And there are people all around this area that are dead stones, broken stones. They're they're disjointed. They're miserable because they're not serving the Lord. We have the message that they can come and Jesus will put them in his spiritual temple if they'll be a living stone. And I thought about this, about this spiritual house. Not only does it have a foundation, not only is Jesus the chief cornerstone, not only are we the living stones, but I thought about this, the word of God is almost like the mortar. Now notice this, notice this is in chapter Peter chapter 1 verse 23. Having been born again, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God. Say that with me, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. It's the gospel that's like the mortar that takes us and sticks us to Jesus. It brings us to a saving relationship through Jesus Christ. See, salvation is only through the word of God. This is a saving message. It's like mortar. It unites us to Jesus. But you know what else it does? It unites us to the other stones. This message here is the right message. It's the right message in that it is true and, and that it is, it is accurate. And Satan will do anything and everything to weaken our trust in the word of God. He wants to we- He's weakened many churches Many pastors and even many Christians, he's weakened their trust in the word of God. Satan will do everything he can to bring doubt into your heart, into your mind about the word of God. He will use doubt. Sometimes he uses deception and half-truths. Sometimes he even, he even will bring denial like he did to Adam and Eve. And he said to Eve, that's not what God said. And he'll deny and even bring besmirch God's character. But this is the right message because this is a righteous message. It's like the mortar. It brings true righteousness. It places us in right standing with God in an eternal relationship. It's a redeeming message. This message has power. This is, this is not just a motivational message. You hear these motivational speakers and you get all charged up, but then you don't have any power to do anything. And you're the same way that you were before. Why? Because you in your power, in your own ability, don't have the ability to do what they're telling you. But I want you to tell you, this is a message of redemption. This is a message that frees us from Satan's power and from sin's power. The blood of Jesus Christ can truly redeem. You are redeemed by the blood. By the blood of Jesus Christ, you are redeemed. Now I'm going to say this. No one is beyond God's redeeming power. The worst person you know, Jesus can redeem them. Why? Because this mortar can unite us to Jesus. It can unite us to eternal purpose. This word of God, is it's through the word of God that we are born again. Paul said he was the chief of sinners. The chief cornerstone met the chief of sinners. Hmm? Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He met the chief of sinners on the Damascus Road. And Paul was not beyond the grace of God. Paul was trying to destroy the church. 
And God displayed such incredible, amazing grace that he became the greatest preacher, in my opinion, the world has ever known. So if God can change and save the, the chief of sinners, he can save that drug addict. He can save that alcoholic. He can save that person that the world think is hopeless. There's nothing hopeless because nothing is too hard for our God. This message is a redeeming message. It's a righteous message. It's the right message. It's a revealing message. This is the only message that reveals the true God. There is no message. There, there's all kind of crazy spiritual new age materials out there. God's a woman and God's this and God's that and all this. Listen, ladies, I'm not, not against you, but God's always mentioned his father in the Old Testament. It does say he has some, some female at, attributes in the, in the sense of compassion and this and that. But God is father. This, is, this book reveals the one true God, but it also reveals who you are in relationship to Him. This message reveals my past, it reveals my present, and it reveals my future. This message tells me who I am and where I came from. And it wasn't a big bang, but it's from a great God. Come on, Creator. It tells me why I'm here. It helps me relate to life and relate to this fallen world and relate to one another and relate in relationships and how to raise children and how to handle money and, and how, what kind of attitudes and things that please God and displease God. It tells us where our world is going because it's a prophetic book. It's a revealing book, but it's also a rewarding book. It rewards us with great promises. Why? Because this spiritual temple I'm talking about, not the physical, but the spiritual temple, every living stone that's being built up, there's incredible incredible future for us. We're heading somewhere. We're going somewhere. This, this temple, which is the church, is heading to the very presence of Almighty God one day. There is a place where there is no sorrow, suffering, or shame. There is a place of serenity, and it's called heaven. And John was so excited about it, he wrote it like this. He said, Behold what manner of love the fathers bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us. They don't know who we are. They don't know. We, they don't know. They're driving by here, and they're thinking, those crazy folks are in there. Listen to some crazy preacher. What they don't know, that we're, we're royalty. We're, we're the children of God. And it says here, therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, we are, we are the children of God. Now we are the children of God. We are right now. We're not going to be. We are. And it says, and it has not been yet revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, but we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has his hope in him purifies himself as he's pure. This temple, this spiritual house has a foundation. And the foundation is none other than Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. But a temple and a house also has walls. You know what the walls are of this spiritual house? The walls are salvation. Here's what, here's what the Old Testament says in Isaiah. His violence shall no longer be heard in your land. Neither shall destruction or wasting within your borders. But you shall call your walls, say it, salvation. And your gates, you shall call your walls salvation. I read to you in Peter where it says that we're to be proclaiming the praises of him who's called you out of darkness. See, when God builds a temple, the walls show it off. And the walls of salvation, we need to show forth 
our salvation. How do we do that? With a transformed life. With a transformed life. Why? Because we are God's special and unique people. We are filled with the Spirit. We've been sanctified and separated under His divine purpose. And we're to, we're to show forth the walls of salvation. We're to show them forth, we're to show forth the beauty of our Christ gloriously in what we do, in the way we live, so that all men may know. And I, then I begin to think about, in our modern terminology, I think the Holy Spirit is like insulation. The Bible says that in Ephesians, and I'll just quote this phrase in Ephesians 2.22, it says that he is building together a dwelling place of God in the Spirit, a place where God dwells. You know what insulation does? Insulation keeps, keeps cold out, right? Keeps the cold out. I thought about how Satan is the prince of the power of the air, and he wants to blow cold winds upon and in the church. But here's what Peter said, that you're... But through faith, you are shielded. You are shielded by the power of God until the coming salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And what Satan wants to do is to blow out the fires of devotion in us. And he really doesn't care how he does it. He doesn't care if he uses our own spiritual neglect he will use offenses and grievances or misunderstandings among believers. He'll use our own personal sins. Use deception. He'll use di- disappointment. He'll use delays. He doesn't care how he does it, but he'll use anything and he'll use everything to blow the cold winds upon our devotion for Christ. But not only does insulation keep the cold out, but insulation keeps the warmth in. Is that right? That's what insulation does. Romans says this, be aglow and burning with the Spirit, the Amplified Bible says. One translation says, keep at the boiling point for the Lord. You know as well as I do, things can fade in our spiritual life if we're not constantly renewing them. You know it in your own life, we know it by experience of others. Paul told Timothy, stir up the gifts of God that's in you. Stir it up, Timothy. Now, the stirring was something Timothy had to do. Oh, God, do this. Oh, God, do that. There's things that we have to do. God says, listen, Timothy. Paul says, Timothy, God wants you to stir up the gifts of God. That charismata, that charismata, that that Holy Spirit gifting that's in you had faded, had died down. He had neglected it. We don't know what happened. But what we do know is that he was called to take action and begin to, the fire's about to go out. We got to, you know what I'm talking about. We don't have the bellows to blow it into flame again. So my, my, my point is this, we cannot just sit back passively, neglectfully while the fires of devotion die down in our own lives or the fires of devotion begin to go down in the church. What we, somebody has to start fanning the flame again. Somebody has to fan the flames of prayer and praise and proclamation and begin to speak the blessing of God and prophesy the blessings of God. You say, Pastor, where's that fire found? Where is that warmth found? It's found from the Father. It's found in the Father's presence. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly Father know how to give the Holy Spirit to those who act? It's called the promise. 
of the Father. You should receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Right? The Father wants to bless us. He wants our hearts to be warm for Him. He knows the struggle we get in. He knows how just life itself quenches those fires. He knows how that is. You can get discouraged. You can disappoint yourself. You, you can face trials. You can face setbacks and delays. And you feel those fires of devotion. It's hard to pray. It's hard to feel the joy of worship. What do you do? You start fanning. I don't accept this. I don't accept this. I will have a prayer life. I will have a word life. I will have a praise life. I will be blessed by God. I'm going to fan the promises into flame. You don't sit back. You fan it. Timothy, fan the flame. And here's the truth. Churches die because people let them die. They let them die. They stop fanning. And they just give in to the lies of the enemy. And the enemy goes, yeah, that's what I wanted. No, sir, not here. Not here. Not here. Not here. We're fanning the flame. We're fanning the flames of joy and hope. Hallelujah. And uh, Let me quick, quickly. Every structure has a roof. And a roof is something that covers. And our, our covering is the blood. We're under the blood. They overcame by the blood. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb. Love that. The, the, the roof protects us from storms. The roof covers us. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. They had it over the doorpost. It covered their house. It protected them. We're covered in the blood. And you know what else it covers us? Not only does the riches of the blood and all the spiritual blessings that it provides for us, but the blood protects us from coming wrath. When the coming wrath is coming on this world, we're going to be delivered from the coming wrath. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Are you covered today? I'm covered in the blood. To me, I see the doors like prayer. He said, my house will be called the house of prayer. We, we, we pray. We come in the Father's presence. There's an open door. Come boldly, he says. I want to hear from you. I want to give you grace. I want to forgive your sin. I want to meet your needs. And then it's also for fellowship. There's an open door of fellowship. Open the door. He said, I'll come in. And the doors of the spiritual house are like prayer. He said, my house is a place where people can meet me. And then there's windows. I'm closing. There's windows. You know what windows do? Windows let the light in. The windows to me are almost represent our spiritual understanding. We need to let more light in. We need to open the windows of our soul. The Bible said the word is a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. Paul prayed for more spiritual understanding. He prayed for that in Colossians 1, 9, and 10. He prayed for spiritual understanding and that their knowledge would increase. And, and Paul had the windows of his soul open. So much so he said, I want to know him. He'd known him for years. Met him personally. Saw him visibly. And yet this hunger could not leave him and would not leave him. 
And in the latter part of his life, he's still saying, the windows are open. My spiritual understanding, I want to know more about Jesus and his love. Let's open the windows. And lastly, I see the interior of this spiritual house where it's really where the activity goes on inside. And I see the chairs. It's where we all sit together. It's where, where we have fellowship. John said, the blood, walk in the light as he is in the light. And we have fellowship with one another. Our fellowship with one another is such an important part. The altar is a place where we talk to God and we, we commune with God. His house is a house of prayers I've mentioned. The pulpit is a part of the furnishing. It's where we communicate the word of God. And, and Peter or Paul said this. It's as though God was pleading through us. We want to be men that speak the very word of God. Why? Because the Lord is building a structure. And it's not a physical, just a physical structure. But Peter called it a spiritual house. It's built on Jesus Christ. It's built on his saving life, his saving message. It's built on the Holy Spirit. It's built on the Word of God. It's built on all the spiritual blessings that Ephesians talks about. And I thought I would conclude as you stand. Here's, here's how I want to conclude this message. And it's found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. If you'd put this up. If you put this up. Look at this on the screen. It says, you also, as living stones, you're saved. You're being built up as a, up a spiritual house. That means that you're becoming what the Lord wants you to become. And then it says this. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The spiritual sacrifices are a number of things, but one of those things are just our acceptable sacrifices of praise. You know, we don't bring a lamb or a goat or a dove anymore, but we just bring praise to Him. I ask you to make a commitment with me for the next seven days. No complaining. Let no corrupt communication come out of our mouths. But as God's spiritual house for the next seven days... We're going to be filled with spiritual, we're going to be offering spiritual sacrifices to God. We're going to let, as the psalmist said, the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable of thee, O God, my, my Savior, my Redeemer. We're going to be filled with gratitude. If you give me a little more mic here, please. We are, we want to conclude this time by just giving Jesus an offering, a spiritual sacrifice, a praise. And worship to Him. He suffered so that you could become a living stone. I don't know where we would be today if Jesus hasn't, hadn't reached us. Satan probably would have already killed us. But Jesus saved us. Jesus preserved you through COVID. Some of you may, may have had it. Maybe a lot of us had it and didn't even know it. I think I had it in December of 2019. Didn't even know it. He preserved us. One of the things is God's spiritual house 
is that we offer sacrifices of praise. The next seven days, we're going to offer just praise and worship and positivity from, from our lips. I want you to lift your hands right now. And I'll just take a moment before we go from this place and just thank Him. Whether quiet or loud, it's just up to you. Just We worship you, Jesus. Thank you. We are undeserving. We don't deserve your blessing. That's why it's called grace. Lord, I worship you. Fill our minds with good things. Fill our spirits with, with faith. Fill our, let, our, let our lives be overflowing with thanksgiving. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for this spiritual house, this church family. Thank you for our friends. Thank you for your supply. Thank you for this weather today. Thank you for our new church building. Thank you for meeting every need. Thank you for all the offerings we've had. Thank you, Lord, for those that have faith. Thank you, Lord, for those that sacrifice. Lord, we just have so much to be thankful for. And I pray that the Lord would anoint you with the spirit of thanksgiving. The Lord would anoint you. It's the easiest thing in the world to complain. It's so natural to complain. It's not natural to be thankful. That takes the spirit. So I pray over every one of you right now. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would overflow us with thanksgiving and gratitude. Become a become one of those priests in the new spiritual temple where priests and kings under the Lord he's going to fill you with thanksgiving hallelujah one more time just lift your hands hallelujah hallelujah we bless you Lord we bless you Lord we bless you Lord we bless you, Lord. Lord, this means when our boss does something we don't like and the other co-workers start complaining, we will not chime in. We will not chime in. We will not speak about leadership that way. We're going to be filled with gratitude. We're not going to complain about our jobs because there's some that don't have jobs. They would give the right arm to have your job. We're going to be thankful. Lord, fill us with thanksgiving. We ask it in Jesus' name. Now look at me as I dismiss you. For the next seven days, the Lord's going to remind you of this. We're just going to be vessels of thanksgiving and praise. Watch how it changes the atmosphere of your home. When you just say, no, I won't complain. You know, murmuring kept the children of Israel out of out of uh, promised land. That's one of the sins. Murmuring is a sin. But we're going to be filled with gratitude. You believe? So, Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ would rest upon us, that the love of God would be abundant in us, and that we would have the communion of the Holy Spirit. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. I love you, church. God bless you.